Hey climbers, welcome back to Climb by VSC, a weekly show about building and scaling startups in the world of climate innovation. My name is Jacob Poor, general partner of VSC Ventures and co-host of Climb. Every week, I or a member of our VSC team will speak with a pioneer in the climate tech world about emerging technologies and novel ideas that will turn the tide on climate change. We've all heard enough of the doom and gloom. It's time for stories of purpose-driven innovation that lead to sustainable, positive change. As always, I'm so happy that you've decided to join us. Now let's climb. Hello, everyone. So welcome to the latest edition of Climb, a podcast from VSC Ventures, where we bring on company builders uh, who are shaping uh, the future of climate and climate technology. And today we have a special guest. Um, we have had investors on, we've had entrepreneurs on, but we're also having uh, leaders in education uh, coming on and talking about how to build the next generation of climate storytellers, which is critical. And we're going to find out why today. So uh, excited to have Allison Agston on today. Uh, she is the inaugural director of USC's Annenberg Center for Climate Journalism and Communication Center. Um, in her role, she conceptualizes programs, develops partnerships, and collaborates with faculty and students to shift public perception in response to climate change. Super important. Uh, previous to that, she worked in journalism communications uh, at and public engagement at CNN, uh, director of communications at LACMA, and curator of public engagement at the Hammer Museum. And in addition, she served at USC's Wrigley Institute for Environmental Studies. So thank you so much, Allison, for joining today. We're excited to have you. Um, and really, let's just get into it. So first of all, tell us about this Annenberg Center for Climate Journalism and Communication. Um, what's it all about? How did you get involved? Well, thank you for having me, BJ, first of all. I cannot believe it, but I have been at USC for, oh my goodness, one year as of this week. And it's been an incredible journey so far. The idea behind the Center for Climate Journalism and Communication is that we would center this work in a school that is really expert at doing the exact kind of thing that, that we're training for. So while we are definitely uh, looking out for students, training students, we're also very focused on training communication professionals and journalists. So uh, right now, for example, I just wrapped up training for 25 ABC journalists in eight different markets over five months, helping them get a better sense of how they can include climate in any type of story they tell. So the idea is not uh, turn them all into climate journalists, but rather help a sports reporter learn how to incorporate climate. Um, meteorologists are generally pretty, pretty good at this, but give them the extra support they need, that sort of thing. So as some of these people are coming in, right, some of these, like, for example, ABC News journalists coming in, what are some of their biggest questions? What are some of their, like, training and information needs that they have? Above all, they just want to know how their stories can make an impact. They are willing to do this work, um, but they want to know how to do the work in a way that viewers will be responsive. Uh, they want their work to not only be resonant, but to be accessible to virtually any audience. And I think that really beyond just journalists, any climate storyteller has those same interests, those same desires. How can I uh, help anybody who's listening to me make sense of the science, the information I have, and how can I ensure that it actually makes a positive impact? So we're seeing, it seems to me, at least from somebody who studies communications and works in it, that there is a fair amount of climate storytelling happening. 
Um, and it also seems to me that it's it's definitely one of the times now you can see where it's it's making an impact. Um, so I mean, with the Biden Inflation Reduction Act, I mean that seems like thirty years of awareness and, and lobbying and, and and information required to get something so difficult passed. Um, what are the like sort of do you see this as like sort of milestone driven approaches, or do you see are we in a moment where there have been milestones? Are there certain milestones ahead that you see that are critical? I think we're seeing a milestone actually unfolding before our very eyes in the story of this Alaska pipeline. Uh, I think this conversation has been largely driven by hashtags, by TikTok and other users. So we're seeing issues of major uh, national concern and even beyond climate change affects all of us um, really gaining traction in social media in a way that I think those of us who've worked in communications, we're not surprised to see it, but it's certainly exciting to see it. Agree with that. Agree with that. And sort of how have you seen this sort of topic change? So even back to your days at CNN, like, are you seeing, what are the sort of aspects that have sort of nuanced or there's more depth um, or there's more um, global coverage? Like, how do you see um, that time from CNN to now in this space? Well, first of all, I started at CNN in the early 2000s, which is like eons ago in the communications landscape and, and particularly in the climate communications landscape. So I'm not sure if I wasn't tapped in enough yet, if I'm just not remembering or this is actually the case, but I never remember um, where I don't remember working on any stories about climate change myself. And I don't remember seeing them regularly on the network versus now you tune in on the news. And let me tell you, I've done the research. Everybody has a, a climate unit. They have at least one climate reporter. There's climate editors. There's climate visualization specialists. There's people that for networks that are just focusing on, I'm thinking of the Washington Post. They have maybe 30, maybe even more people now that are focused on things like, uh, you know, a climate newsletter. Like who could have imagined? So just the the volume of content related to climate in the news just continues to go like this every year. And I don't think that that's going to change. I do think that that's something that has changed and for the better is this, uh, what we call in the news business, this idea of false balance. So it used to be if you were going to cover climate, you would have um, maybe a legislator or an activist on and they'd say, we have to pass this bill because um, we need to protect the, the rivers in this region. And then you'd have an oil person come on and they'd say, what makes you think that we are going to have an oil spill, that oil causes climate change? What makes you, why? Like, you know, a contrary opinion in that way. So where I have really seen a change in this regard is that um, this, this false balance is not really an issue anymore. I know in my work and at the center and with our dean, we start from the baseline that climate change is real, climate change is happening now, and climate change is happening in our communities. And that's something that I teach journalists and teach students, um, is that you don't need to bring uh, somebody from extractive industries on to give another perspective on it. This is a fact at this point, 99% of actively publishing scientists agree. Yeah, that's amazing. And it was so annoying when that had to be the case <laughs> before. 
Um, it makes you realize how far we've come. That's huge. That's I, getting happy news, by the way, today is uh, is refreshing. Um, given everything that's happened, how about how about sort of like right wing media? Are they are you engaging them? Are they interested? Is this just like not of importance, or like are you seeing any changes there? You know, within the last year, I've done some research on how outlets are covering climate. And I looked at CBS, ABC, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox. One of those six did not have a climate unit or any climate reporters. Can you guess which one? Yeah. Wow. So there's... Um, it's still an issue uh, on that level. Something that I have been seeing lately is more coverage about climate change from religious news outlets. I think that's also positive. That's exciting. I can't tell you that that's like more than my anecdotal observation, but I'm definitely seeing that more, more in my uh, alerts that I have set up that I go through every single day. I think that's promising. Yeah, because there's got to be a crossover there, right? So if you can find a different dimension in, then that's valuable. Yes, um, sir. Are you seeing, like, how about other countries? Like, we know America, and Americans don't often know anything about anywhere else, but, like, is how is the journalism movement of climate in other countries? Is it, uh, I would guess that there's probably some, some very authoritarian regimes that maybe don't spend the time there if they're making their money with oil and gas, but, like, what are you seeing? I am seeing definitely much more training happening in Africa, uh, which is another promising sign. There are good stories. There are good climate stories out there. I think the uh, one of the great leaders in climate coverage, if not the leader, is The Guardian uh, mm. out of the UK. They set the standard in so many ways. They're essentially their climate journalism style guide. I don't think they call it that, but to give you a sense of what I'm talking about is what's often used and referred to by journalists who are writing about climate. And they are even very explicit about how they handle climate images, which I really appreciate. Uh, as you mentioned, I also work at the Wrigley Institute for Environmental Studies at USC, where I have an appointment as their first curator. So the visualization of climate change is a uh, um, an issue of particular interest for me. Also at Oxford, there is a climate reporting initiative that is really impressive, doing great training and publishing interesting data that I know I use in my conversations with people about where this is all headed. That's great. And so, and, and I've noticed even Guardian has a climate tech writer in San Francisco. Like It's incredible. They're doing such great work. I think they, um, I think they have set the standard for a long time, but I'm also very closely watch watching the Washington Post because they're doing such good work. They have ramped it up big time. If you are interested in reading more climate news that's really well done that you can trust, uh, those are the two outlets that I recommend right away. I also um, get Bloomberg's uh, newsletter, and I think that one's great too. Yeah, agreed. Um, okay, so I was talking to a friend this weekend, and it was disheartening to him that most people did not know that there was a huge flood in Pakistan last summer and that the it put 20% of the country underwater. I mean, if that happened in America, 20% of the, the country was submerged and the topography had changed, it would be global news. 
Um, so that's one concern is that most Americans don't know these things happening around the world. The second one is that I actually heard about it from TikTok uh, and I didn't see it in the media. Um, and, and the visuals were powerful um, in such a short format. So one, like, what are you doing to work on bringing global crises to the U.S. stage? And two, how are you um, lever- thinking about social media as a channel? Well, first of all, I will say that that story with Pakistan is, I think, representative of a larger issue that we sometimes see in the media. I think uh, regime changes, from climate change to regime change, we often don't know what's happening in countries besides our own. And I bet anybody who's listening now, maybe even you, we've had this experience where we are traveling, we're outside of our country, we turn in on the news there, and we cannot believe the global perspective that we get that we're not getting at home. So I think that's a bigger issue that climate is wrapped into. I do think that one of the great challenges about reporting on climate in other regions is the basics of having the um, boots on the ground to cover those stories, particularly um, you know, in local news markets, obviously they're they're not going to have they're they're going to have to rely on affiliate footage and reporting, and sometimes that is less desirable than reporting on a story that's uh, you know in the hometown of you know the viewers. And I actually think that that though it's really problematic that we don't know about this massive and devastating flooding in Pakistan from a storytelling perspective. It, it makes sense, and we know from behavioral science research that the stories that resonate most with people are the ones that, are, that they're experiencing more personally. Yeah, makes sense. And then, and I want to come back to another topic there, but let's talk about social media, right? So, oh, yeah, uh, sorry. No, no, sure. The power of it, right? The influencers, the creators. Um, how are they, how do they play into the center? Um, are they trainable in this regard? Are there, it's it's more than just a channel for mainstream media, right? It's its own media. I have so many ideas for that. I hardly know what to do. Um, it's about time the day and resources to support the people that are out there on TikTok telling us the stories that we need to hear. And that frankly, we're like not hearing anywhere else. I'll bet that that Pakistan flooding story story came from someone who was in Pakistan. Is that right? I, I, it could have been. I think actually when I went into it on TikTok, it was European press mm-hmm. and Asian press that someone clipped and then they put a commentary on top of it. Interesting. Um, which is great to know that at least European press cares about some of the stuff happening in Asia or maybe they had an yeah. affiliate but. Something like that. Absolutely. I also think that like that, that that's, again, I ask who's, who is the one originally telling that story? Because I think that, that we naturally trust the people who are going through the experience themselves. You, I could talk to you about Pakistan flooding and gather all the facts or somebody who's in Pakistan could show the video and talk about what it's like for them and their family. And I'm going to listen to that person in Pakistan, certainly way before, um, you know, I would listen to somebody like me who's 
was far removed. Um, I do. Th I think there's. I think that providing training for social media communicators is. Um, it's just there's there's so many possibilities there, and I don't really see it happening anywhere. I really hope that we can get into that space soon. Um, once I have the resources, that's high on my list. Yeah, makes sense. And and you're right. I mean, first of all, all the footage is local, right? For these kind of things, like it's it's a it's a smartphone, right? It's a it's a camera that's capturing these things. Um, so one more question on, on the different types of media out there. So it seems like another opportunity is local media. Yes. Um, and, and there's been some challenges with the local media itself, right? It's been hurt in many ways by losing classified ad revenue um, from the newspaper side, uh, maybe even advertisers, maybe young people are not tuning in to the local news. But it seems like local news has been, you know, anyone that follows Hassan Minaj has probably seen some of the things happening with newspapers across the country, but it seems like it's having its own crisis. Um, how do you see that and how does that fit into what, how do you think about this? Yeah, it's heartbreaking on a number of levels. Uh, and this is a really big issue in climate coverage. Um, what I will say is that when you look at research about the most trusted sources for climate information, like up there at the top is your local news meteorologist. And in fact, the local news meteorologist is the number one driver of viewer loyalty for a morning TV program. And as you probably know, most folks that are broadcasting weather at this juncture, they are meteorologists. The um, Meteorology Association in the United States considers them to be the citizen, the, to be the citizen scientists of their station. And I really agree. Those are the scientists at the station. So those are the people that have the actual background in this material. And they're the most trusted folks on TV, much more trusted than, um, than the national news. Yeah. So there's obviously a big opportunity there, and there are a number of um, of initiatives to really help train those folks, give them the background, give them even like the graphics that they need to do those stories uh, through some other universities like George Mason University, which has a climate communication program that I really admire and that has been doing that work for a long time. Yeah, agreed. Now let's talk about sort of universities, right? So um, I want to like, how many, how many universities are, are starting to like invest in climate programming in a bigger way than just sustainability as a major? Um, I saw Stanford made a big uh, announcement with John Doerr. Huge. Um, Huge. And you were this program at USC. Like, where do you just give, give me, a, give our listeners a lay of the land of what's happening in academia. Uh, yeah, I mean, Climate change is blowing up at universities. I think everybody realizes that it has to be woven into the curriculum in some way, and everybody's getting at it differently from this massive gift from Mr. Doerr to Stanford that will start a whole school focused on climate. Like, that's terribly exciting. Um, Harvard has a big, new, well-funded initiative um, maybe a couple hundred million dollars. Don't, 
don't quote me on that, even though we're being quoted on that right now as I talk about it, but um, it's, it's publicly available information. So you're seeing um, these top tier institutions put their money behind it. And there have been universities that have been doing this work, you know, already. Um, I would say in um, Boulder, they have the, both the science aspect and they're doing some of the communications work. So it's that's um, that's interesting to see how those two things conflate, um, but you're only going to see more of it. Absolutely, I think I think um, some of these uh, universities whose names you know well that don't have a major climate initiative, you'll you'll hear about one in no time soon. Yeah. No, even my school, Penn, had mentioned to me that there's one that they're working on and has already been funded. Uh, Absolutely, so it seems like a huge new learning opportunity for young people now. Um, I had heard some stats that even some of the graduates coming out of MIT, uh, like majority want to work on climate change. Um, and that's pretty special, right? Uh, in terms of how the new generation is thinking. Um, and and how, are you, how is your program, like how did that come together? Is it a sort of, yeah, just tell me the history of this program. Yeah, it was really the dream, the vision of Dean Willow Bay at the Annenberg School, who knew that this was the kind of issue that needed to be considered through a climate lens. She knew that there weren't any other journalism schools, so there were schools of communication that were thinking about this. And she and our awesome advancement team secured some seed funding from Bloomberg Philanthropies, which got us started. And then some other folks jumped on boards so that we could test this idea out and get it going. From the beginning, Dean Bay knew that it would be important that we consider professionals who are already out there in the field. Like, let's get to people who are telling the stories right now and ensure that those are the right stories for this moment. Amazing. Amazing. And sort of where do you see this going from here? Like you had mentioned the social media training could be another module. Like what, what would be the wish list of where this goes? I really am excited about the possibility of doing social media training. I really think that it's a mistake to not get into that work as soon as we can. Working with students as I do, I am getting a sense um, of how, of the level of interest in doing that work. And so we're talking about beginning some light programming, some public programming type of offerings for that, but I would love to get into something more formal soon. I would love for the school to be able to bring on um, some pretty incredible um, communicators and residents, people that have that kind of on the ground experience that we're talking about that can teach us. I have access to like the most brilliant scientists and communicators at USC, but I'd love to have some more people work with students and professionals that have really, um, really been doing the work. Um, so I'm thinking about how I can craft some programs to uplift those voices, feature those voices. And speaking of unheard voices, it's just super important to me that uh, this program does really uh, not just consider, but 
center the voices of people who are living through climate change, um, frontline communities, indigenous people. We know that people of color, black people in particular, are most impacted by climate change. So I'm really trying to think about how we can create a program in which equity is uh, top of mind and top of program. Uh, love that. Um, and maybe we can talk more about that um, offline. But also now I just want to jump around. So um, <laughs> some climate hot takes. Um, you had mentioned that you're done with the polar bear photos. Oh, I'm so done with them. It's it's my personal pet peeve. The polar bear and the iceberg as a symbol of climate change is over. It does not mean anything anymore. We plug it in for any story about climate change to the extent that I think we visually just gloss right over it. In fact, a polar bear mother and her cubs were used just yesterday to illustrate a story in the New York Times about the oil pipeline in Alaska. And I think that's a miss. I think we can do better. Is it just that it's been played out now or... It is that it's been played out. Is it that but people are tired of seeing it or they don't like it or they think about the Coca-Cola commercials or I don't know. It's funny. You know, I was just reading um, a journal article about this yesterday, conflating the polar bear and the Coca-Cola image. And I had never thought of that before. So you're, um, you got, you certainly got that um, connection before I did. I think that it's been so overused. And I also think that, that um, the polar bear is so very foreign that it's hard to connect with. Like, it seems like something from another universe in a way for somebody like me sitting in Los Angeles, you know, you up north. Uh, losing a polar bear is using, losing a cute animal, but it's not the same as, um, you know, maybe some of your neighbors right now while we sit here, you know, in our latest weather event, it's just storming here and probably there too. Like what's going on in your neighborhood? I bet some people around there and some animals around there are really suffering as a result of that this weather. So those stories are probably going to mean more. Those pictures are going to mean more than the polar bear starving on the iceberg. So we got to cancel the polar bear. Stock no, footage. I love the polar bear. And that's the thing is it kills me. Like it goes, it's very hard for me to say this as an absolutely insane animal lady with three dogs and a giant lizard, you know, like, I don't want to say no to the polar bear. I love the polar bear. I want the polar bear to survive as much as anyone. But it's not However, accessible. The polar yeah. bear is not working in this context. Context yep. is everything. Can I just say? Context is everything. And polar bear as the image of climate change is not moving hearts and minds anymore. And let's talk about another pet peeve, right? Yeah. And sort of one of the biggest, possibly the biggest challenges in, in climate communications is greenwashing. Mm. Thoughts on it? Greenwashing. We just today published a report called ESG on Fire, and it is about awareness and narratives of ESG. Uh, we did some research using data from Zignal Labs, which showed us that that is the number one rising narrative in the ESG conversation uh, which ESG is environmental, social, and governance. And this refers to uh, a practice, a lens through which companies are increasingly looking through, uh, looking through for their activities to try to really calculate if they are 
being responsible. So in the ESG conversation, it's the number one thing that folks are concerned about is greenwashing. And I think you also see just from the left and the right, a lot of concern about ESG in general, whether on the left it is lack of regulation or on the right there is concern that ESG practices are really hindering capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. And and let's let's sort of as we're sort of like concluding today's chat, I did want to think about sort of um, your uh, the work you do and right and and all the journalists that listen into this or the social media folks. What are like some of the best tips you can give right now? If somebody can't come in for a training, like what what could you tell them right now about how they could be better climate storytellers? Two tips, four words, shrink time, shrink distance. So this is what I know from behavioral science research, and this is what I know from what climate storytellers, the best of the best, tell me, which is that we need to help our listeners understand that climate change is happening now. Climate change is not decades away. It's not your kids or your grandkids' problem. It's actually your problem now. So when I say shrink time, tell the climate change story of today that's going to increase resonance. When I say shrink distance, I am saying, talk about how this affects your community. And you've heard me kind of like get at this a hundred different ways in this conversation. This is what people can really process, what they can take in, what they can respond to is what's happening in their own neighborhoods. Are you experiencing flooding in your neighborhoods? Are, are you uh, having the coldest winter ever, the hottest summer ever? How is this uh, affecting uh, crops if you're in a farming community? Uh, how does this affect your kids' ability to, you know, play outside on asphalt if you're in the city? Bring those stories, those climate stories home and tell the stories of today. Perfect. So people can save the flight. They just, we gave it to them. <laughs> Yeah, and those those are those are hard things to say in some ways because I think those tips, those are the tips I like to give and that's how I like to give them, but it's not lost on me that they're very reductive. So what do you lose? You lose the story about Pakistan flooding if you're in Los Angeles and I don't want that either. So um I don't want to say we have to find a way to do it all. We're all just going to do our best. But if you're just getting started and you're trying to figure out how to make an impact, that's one way. And I will say this works for you even if you aren't in climate communications. This works if you're thinking about seeing your family for some upcoming holidays and you don't really know how to talk to your uncle about it. Like, ask him, uh, you know, what's uh, what's the weather like in Poughkeepsie? You know, mm-hmm. Um Tell me, oh, you know, like I grew up in a very rural area. When I go home, a very, very rural, very, very conservative area, I ask folks, like, what's hunting been like lately? Like, what are you, what different patterns are you seeing with the animals? And sometimes I'll just leave it at that. I'm just seeding an idea that something could be going on here. I love that. And um, just as we sort of winding down, journalists, listeners, uh, influencers, what do you recommend them getting sort of, how would they get knowledgeable? Like, I think that's a big thing now too. Like, there's so much coming out. There's so many nuances. There's a lot of technology as well. Some of it's going to work. Some of it won't work. Some of it's too expensive, right? Like, are there particular books that you recommend that are like sort of like got to start foundationally with these things? Are there certain people they should follow on social media? Uh, is there certain just outlets? You mentioned Washington Post as being one of them and Guardian. 
but you know, just lay it out there for people. The number one way that I learn about climate stories and pick up trends before I'm reading about them anywhere else is my simple and free Google alerts. I have a couple set. They're so basic. One is like, you know, in quotes, climate journalism, and maybe the other one is like climate communications. And I just make it kind of like a personal rule. It's, it's almost like non-negotiable. Some people are like this about exercise or eating healthy. I'm like this about reading my climate stories. So I open it up. I see, you know, like the top, what the top three stories are, let's say in my climate journalism, um, Google News alert for the day. Some days I don't open any of the stories. I'm like, I know that story. I know that story. I know that story. Some days I go, wait a second. I'm realizing that I have seen a trend here. This is, this is why I'm actually talking to you about these, um, religious outlets publishing more climate stories. Mm. I'm not actually saying that based on some formal research. I'm saying that based on what I observe by being serious about my Google alerts. This takes almost no time. And I think it's actually the best kind of learning in some ways, like this ABC training I did was over five months. I think when we can extend learning over a long period of time, it can kind of embed in our psyche in a different way. If you do that, if you just today set up a Google alert for climate journalism and you gave, I'm telling you, no more than three minutes a day to looking at those stories, you will know more about what's going on in climate journalism than I bet even a lot of journalists. First of all, that's the VSC secret weapon, Google News Alerts. So like nailed it. Um, I would even say now on top of that, right, uh, add topics like uh, reforestation, right? Yes. Uh, direct carbon capture, whatever. At some Anything that you're questioning, put it in, get the alert, and you'll see, you'll learn so much. Basically, you're learning it passively. You are so right. Yes, I'm obsessed with krill overfishing now. Do I have a krill overfishing Google alert? Yes, I do. Have I learned everything from it? Yes, I have. That'd be a fun little like communications um, thing. Everybody shares their news alerts with each other. That is like, such a good idea. Wallet. I'm sure you've seen like how um, everybody, like people will share like a screenshot of all the different Wi-Fi networks in their neighborhood. I live yeah. in a supremely dense neighborhood in Hollywood and the names of my neighbor's Wi-Fi networks give me joy even on the darkest day. I love that. I love, we need joy on our dark days. We do. And there is, there is joy. There, there is hope out there, even in this climate space. Allison, it's been amazing to speak with you. I'm looking forward to many more conversations. Um, Me thank too, you BJ. Let's cook some stuff up together. Let's do it. Let's start with the news alert. Let's have like a news Let's alert. Do the, I love that idea. I think that's really, really cute. I'm into it. All right. Thank you so much, Allison. Allison Agston from the USC Annenberg Center for Climate Journalism and Communication. Check out what they're doing. Support the organization. If you have ideas, find her. And uh, thank you so much for uh, today's conversation. Thank you, VJ. Well, that's all for this week's episode of Climb by VSC. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Special thanks to Credo for their help in producing and promoting this episode. To visit any part of today's conversation again, you can find the full transcript on vscventures.com. Our thanks to Josue Ramiro for posting these every week. Lastly, if you've listened this far, please leave us a rating on Spotify or review on iTunes. It only takes a few seconds, really helps us out, and as far as I know, it's still carbon neutral. 
Well, that's all for now. We'll see you all next week on Climb by VSC.